Wow, this is really of all of these movies, this is the most like this podcast this whole series has gotten. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> no, not not really. Cause it's like, oh, this has like all of the things that we want to talk about. It's got continuity corner, mm. it's got mm. uh all this whole range of villains storytelling. It's a conclusion of a certain arc, you know, and like a good and original wild swing in this series that has started to feel a little repetitive at times the whole series is very tonally consistent for the most part you know Mm -hmm. so it does sort of sometimes feel like you're watching like the same movie a bunch of times yeah fresh out the oven it's cinema bums i'm wade and i'm sleazy cinema bums is a podcast where we watch through every single movie in popular film franchises one each week to try and track how the storytelling changes over time. Today we are concluding our miniseries, Webhead Summer, covering every Spider-Man film. We will fully spoil today's film, Spider-Man No Way Home, but we will not spoil any future entries in the series because there currently are none. And yet we may spoil bits and pieces of the <laughs> next of Doctor Strange 2. Uh, as we get yes. into later later parts of talking about this movie, because we're not going to actually talk about that movie on its whole own podcast, but we may bring up parts of it. Yes. And obviously, maybe things about WandaVision and other multiverse-related stuff. Mm-hmm. Just to fully disclaim it. No, that's good. That's a good call. Emmett, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I, I'm very jazzed to talk about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. I think it's got everything. And speaking of got everything, let me take this brief time to say that Bumtober is coming up. Our Bumtober bracket, where listeners will be able to pick a movie series that we will cover. And in order to make the bracket, we need you to send in suggestions of series you would like us to cover. Those can be film franchises like Spider-Man, directors you like, or even writers like Michaela and Smith, we covered on this podcast. Uh, you can DM those to us on Instagram. We are at cinemabums or email us cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Yes, that's cinemabumspod at gmail.com. <laughs> uh. Today we are talking about Spider-Man No Way Home. It is the 32nd entry in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the ninth installment in the never-ending Phase 4, the first phase of the multiverse saga. This movie was released December 17th, 2021 by Sony Pictures, two and a half years after Far From Home. Wow. It was directed by John Watts, written by Chris McKenna and Eric Summers, and scored by Michael Giacchino, all returning from the previous two entries in this trilogy, also making John Watts the first MCU director to complete a trilogy. That's impressive. You know, that's like when Christopher Nolan, I believe, was the first director to do a Batman trilogy. And uh, Mm. Christian Bale was the first Batman to be Batman for three full films. Yeah, that makes sense. Maybe still the only to be three for three Batman titled movies. I'm not sure. Yeah. But that is crazy. It's like it. Can you can we talk about how rare it is for a director to like stay on with a series like that? Doesn't James Mangold uh, did three uh, Wolverine movies? 
Uh, just two because he didn't do Origins. So oh, he didn't do Origins. Damn, he should have. If he had done Origins, it probably would be better, which would make it worse. In my opinion, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> exactly. Um, now it is a pretty major achievement, and I felt watching them close together like you see the consistent vision through all three of them mm-hmm. in a way that I didn't as much like having not rewatched the movies, just sort of going to this one in theaters out of the blue, you know? Yeah. Two and a half years later, it's kind mm-hmm. of, yeah. But watching them all together, it's it's true. And to me, this feels like Spider-Man Endgame. you know, it's like, mm-hmm. this is what this, not only this trilogy has been leading towards, but they are trying to wrap everything in they're kind of doing a James Bond specter retcon where it's like all of these people also matter to this storyline right now, but Mm -hmm. it's done in like a pretty cool way. And I feel like, you know, the, the whole multiple villain thing that has tanked so many of these movies and has tanked like other superhero movies that we've talked about and ones that we haven't as well. Uh, But Like in this one, it is done, I feel like, particularly well, because although they all have different motivations, they all, for this particular why they're in this adventure, have the same backstory and have the same, like, you know, MacGuffin that they're all chasing after, basically. Mm -hmm. You know, and so it makes it so it's not that whole crazy thing where you're like cutting between three different entire plot lines that all kind of have to do with Spider-Man. It's like all of it is all fully directed at like this one thing. We very clearly know what it is, what every character is focused on for the whole movie. And I think it pulls off the uh, that multi-villain thing, you know, a little bit better. Yeah. And also none of them are being introduced. Yeah. I mean, I don't think any character is introduced in this movie. Like, this is a movie where you know everyone, and they're not going to really spend any time on explaining anything. Mm -hmm. You're just going to get into it. Yeah. However, it does run two hours and 28 minutes, (laughs) making it the longest Spider-Man movie, solo Spider-Man, I guess. It is 20 minutes longer than Far From Home and six minutes longer than The Amazing Spider-Man 2, the second longest in the series. Wow. Uh, it had a budget of $200 million, made a box office of $1.8 billion, making it the highest grossing movie of 2021 by a billion dollars. Wow. <laughs> the second highest grossing. I don't have it pulled up. It was a Chinese movie, but it was like $800 million. And wow. then this was number one. That is really crazy the highest grossing Spider-Man movie and the highest grossing movie to be released since the pandemic began. Wow. Did you two see this in theaters, Emmett? I did. I think when well, this came out like in December, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I watched it. Uh, I watched it with Arabella in theaters and we called you right before to get the rundown on what had happened in far from home, which we did not have time to watch before going to see this. And I remember really liking this in theaters, being like, okay, cool, whatever. Oh, and this rewatch? Like it even more. Yeah. With like the all the lead up from the other movies, perhaps because it is like actually finally something that feels like a conclusion. Feels pretty heavy, but also like the stakes are pretty grounded in character stuff that you understand of like, can he save these six people? You know? Right. And, and when the tragedy strikes, it's like, the one person he cares about most, which is like a horrible, huge high stakes thing, but it's not 
it's not this absurdly high stakes thing where you can't like fathom like half the world getting snapped away. You know? Yeah. Like he's really experiencing it. And I think that that's the saddest death scene in the entire, like in the entire MCU. Like when he's holding Aunt May, it's very sad. Yeah. It is kind of like homecoming in that way in that not many other people are in danger from the mm-hmm. threat, you know, like it is a very personal threat. It's not that the world is in danger and he's saving the world is sort of like a very specific situation he's dealing with yeah and to wrap this up good reviews 71 on metacritic compared to homecoming with 73 and far from home with 69 this one was right in the middle of the two he was nominated for best visual effects at the oscars emmett would you like to briefly summarize this movie for um, the very few people i'm guessing who did not see this one okay this is pretty hilarious. Peter Parker and his two best friends, MJ and Ned, all go to the smart kids school in New York, right? And they're all applied to MIT. They're very smart. And yet they all somehow think that all three of them stand a chance <laughs> of all three of them getting in. Then when they don't get in, the school admission conveniently blames this on the fact that Peter Parker's identity was recently revealed as Spider-Man. And that he's like kind of wanted as a criminal right now. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, we can't accept you. You're not being considered. So before Peter Parker thinks about like calling the admissions board to be like, this is unfair or like doing anything like that. He goes to Dr. Strange and is like reverse time and changes. So it doesn't happen. Or Dr. Strange is like, we don't have the time stone anymore, but on the other hand, I could erase your memory from all living beings' memories. Well, Spider-Man's like, yeah, but probably not everybody. Like, And then continuously interrupts Doctor Strange while he's trying to do a spell, which is probably pretty annoying for Doctor Strange. And Doctor Strange messes up the spell and then has to trap it in a little crystal cube. Why? I don't know. It could disrupt the nature of space-time, right? Okay, cut to a little bit later... Spider-Man's like, oh, I could have actually just gone and talked to this lady. So he goes to try and talk to the lady. Also, Flash somehow got into MIT. So now we're talking about four kids from the same school getting into MIT. (laughs) All right. Okay. All right. It is that thing of like, if you were in high school, you would think it would be easier to like change time than it would be to like talk to an adult about an admissions process. Yeah. You know, like that's, yeah. that does seem, that does seem accurate. Yeah. No, go to your cool uncle who can change the nature of reality. <laughs> that seems like a better idea than, you know, talking to the admissions board lady. Then. That goes horribly wrong because, surprise, people have jumped through the space-time continuum as all these shenanigans were going on. It's our old friend, Alfred Molina, as uh, Doc Ock. Oh, yeah. They're all, I mean, baby, they are all back. We've got Norman Osborn. We have got Electro. We have got Sandman. We have not got Venom because. Despite popular demand. Despite popular demand, <laughs> Sony still owns the rights. We've got the lizard guy, kind of. Sometimes the movie remembers that we have the lizard guy. <laughs> yeah, they're all there, all of your faves. They're all like causing a ruckus in different ways. And Spider-Man's like, no, I'll save them all. Because if I send them back with this cube, which I could easily send them back with, they'll probably be sent back to the moment right before Spider-Man in the other universe kills them, which is 
pretty true. So he's like, we're going to figure out a way to save these guys. It's a good hearted mission. And he's helped at first by Norman Osborn, who seems to be in control of himself. Uh, but alas, in a miserable <laughs> turn to the Green Goblin comes back, he says, Norman's on sabbatical, honey. <laughs> that part is so good. Okay. He is so good in this movie. He, Willem Dafoe yeah. is unhinged in this film. As he always is, as he has never not once not been on these on the movies that we've reviewed him in. Truly. Right after they cure Doc Ock, then we've got evil Norman Osborn back. He uh, gets Electra to give in to his his lust for power and Sandman to give in to his distrust, basically, of everybody and runs off with them. Lizard guy, don't really know what he wants, but he also escapes. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> no, don't know what's going on with him. <laughs> He waits in the car, and then he's like, ah, it's begun. (laughs) They were like, dude, you're gross. You're waiting in the car. And then later, when he (laughs) escapes and shows back up at the Statue of Liberty, nobody really cares that he's there. And then they cure him pretty much immediately. But they have got cures for all of these guys. And then the place blows up, and Aunt May dies. Horrible of horribles. Spider-Man, fired upon by the police. Spider-Man devastated. Spider-Man looking at J. Jonah Jameson saying he's the worst, basically. And then (laughs) what could it be but two new Spider-Mans appear? Or perhaps two old Spider-Men. Two two old Spider-Men. We've got Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire putting in the first good performance that he has given this series. (laughs) They're there to basically to coach uh, young Peter through the trials and tribulations to come, which involves what a fight atop the Statue of Liberty to cure everybody of their diseases. They have gone to great lengths to make this not look like the X-Men battle by like (laughs) souping up the Statue of Liberty with Captain America's shield, putting all this scaffolding around, doing all this stuff. But we know where they got that idea. They have seen the original X-Men. They know. (laughs) They have sort of made it look like the Spider-Man 3 battle, where they're like on the construction skyscraper or whatever, or like it's fallen apart and it's just the scaffolding. It's a little bit of that going on. Yes, truly. Well, they managed to get most of the people safe. But then here we go. Peter just wants revenge. He just wants cold, hard revenge. He's going to kill. He's going to kill that bastard Willem Dafoe and his weird, freaky little smile. I mean, like when I tell you that the fight like, okay, so this fight on top of the Statue of Liberty is like kind of silly and like over the top. There's Mm -hmm. like cool web slinging electro electro throwing stuff around. There's crazy stuff. There's portals with fish coming out of them and all sorts of nutty things going on. But when I tell you that it gets down to the hand to hand nitty gritty right there at the end, like it is. I mean, they are just going for it, you know? He's going to kill yeah. him. And then Toby, in the first time that he's shown like acting chops, maybe in his life, <laughs> he like stands in the way and he looks at him and he's just like, you don't want to do this. But he just says it with his eyes. And 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 then he like stops it. But then stabbed villain and marvelously, they're able to cure Norman even after he stabs um, Toby. They were like, honestly, 
Toby could probably take one or two. <laughs> that is so silly that it is like this huge, like stabbing moment, and then they're just like, "Oh no, he's okay." Oh, he's just gonna be just okay. <laughs> he's like, "Wow, that really, that really hurts." I'm just gonna walk it off. I mean, you know, Aunt May got stabbed and died. <laughs> then the world is going to end because of something with the spell and Doctor Strange and an explosion and uh-huh. and and there's like going to be a reality war and all of this stuff and nobody even really wants to get into the details of that except for the fact that Spider-Man has to Spider-Man has to make everyone in the whole universe forget that Peter Parker was Spider-Man which also question I have questions but we'll get to that then everyone forgets MJ and Ned forget. I'm super sad. The world doesn't end. Cut to later Spider-Man living alone, trying to get his GED because even the school has forgotten who he is. Right. Cut to him going into the coffee shop, seeing MJ and Ned there, them not remembering him. Cut to emo, sad voice Spider-Man hours. Credits roll. (laughs) Yes, baby. Best Spider-Man. He's got a little berry blue homemade suit. We see a new suit at the end. Oh, yeah. I love that. He's got this little Lego um, Darth Sidious because he's turning to the dark side. I love it earlier in the movie when Jimmy Fox is like, can I ask you a question? Are these your Legos? (laughs) Yeah. Incredible. Incredible. If I could say something quickly about this ending scene, the bakery scene, I think it's really good. I just think it's a little weird how close it is to the scene in Fantastic Beasts. Oh, huh. Really? I think it really is mostly to the fact that they both take place in a bakery, but that, Uh you know, like one half of a relationship is behind their mind wiped and the other person comes yeah. to visit them in the bakery and then sees they're happy and can't do it and walks away. I don't know. Just very similar scenes to me. That's true. That's also a scene that hits that hits hard. This movie honestly made me cry multiple times. I'm not going to lie. Wow. Maybe, yeah. I'm in a, maybe I'm in a weakened emotional condition from, <laughs> from the end of the summer. But yeah, it got me good when Aunt May was dead. And then after that, I was like, anytime something was happening. Tomei and Tom Holland both in the, um, the Aunt May death scene are both like playing it so well. Peter and MJ's final kiss, too, really gets me. I think it's so well done. But their final moment before they all forget is incredible. You know, I think it's a smart move because it doesn't kill anybody off, but it's a very tragic ending. So those characters can come back and be part of it, but we can do some like solo Spider-Man for a little bit, you know, or something. I'm not sure. Speaking of Harry Potter, I just want to mention that it it really struck me in this one that they have kind of a Harry, Ron, Hermione with this trio dynamic. The scene, I guess it's after Aunt May dies, but there's the scene where they're just comforting him and there's like the shot of the three of them like all huddled together. And it really struck me in that moment. The similar sort of team dynamic. Yeah. Well, Emmett, flop or bop to No Way Home? Bop, for sure. For sure, for sure. Loved it. I think it's a cool movie. I think it's an interesting story to analyze the story and the uh, dynamics of what these villains are up to. How about you? Flop, bop. A bop for me, too. I think it's really good. 
I love how much it commits to being Homecoming 3 mm-hmm. while also trying to be Spider-Man Endgame, you know? It feels like there is a lot of care for what has made this trilogy unique, even though the end seems to set up like a much more traditional, maybe Spider-Man dynamic. Mm. I really like all of the performances. I think there are a couple sequences that are super well-directed and visually interesting. I do think it's maybe a little indulgent in the runtime, especially in that first hour. I think you probably could have trimmed it down a little bit. But I feel like they're very much like trying to take their time, you know? Yeah. But yeah, a bop for me. Nice. What do you want to do? Should we talk about the villains or do you want to talk about some specific plot points before we do all that? Well, okay. I just have a couple of, I have a couple of questions about mm-hmm. of like how you think this affects the other Spider-Man's universes, right? Right. The conceit here being that everyone in this movie is healed and then sent back to the moment when Spider-Man, when they were like about to fight Spider-Man or about to try and kill Spider-Man the moment before Spider-Man killed them or they died at their own hands or something. So sending back these healed versions, I mean, the Toby and Andrew that you see here are not from those same moments on their timeline. Right. On their timeline, they're from several years farther they're from a a contemporary moment so like however many Mm -hmm. years it's been since we've seen them it's actually been that long for those guys as characters in this movie i think right that's not how you're reading it yeah that's the vibe i get too but all of the villains are coming back from the moment that they were about to die in the movies that we saw them die in right which means Mm -hmm. from significantly longer ago on the timeline on those guys' timeline right Okay, so then they heal them and then they go back and then they don't die. And like Spider-Man has a good relationship. Like Toby has a good relationship with Norman and has a good relationship with Octavius. I mean, if he has a good relationship with Norman, that means that Harry never becomes Goblin too, you know? Right. That, you know what I mean? And so like a lot mm-hmm. of things get, get changed up, you know? Maybe MJ marries Harry, you know? Well, like... There's there's whole there's whole worlds of things that could get changed up if you fix those guys and make them positive forces on on the world. And then like you go to Andrew Garfield, like if Electro and Lizard Guy, which is the one who killed Gwen Stacy, whose fault is that? Well, that's Dane DeHaan, who is not that's Dane in- DeHaan as Green Goblin. So maybe that would still happen. But some other stuff wouldn't. It would significantly affect things either way you know Mm -hmm. so then the guys that you see in this movie basically no longer exist after this movie because their future versions of themselves would be different than those guys because their pasts would be different right or would they go back and the world would be different you know on actual back to the future rules like they go back to their world and their circumstances are different but they remember yeah Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Huh. That's what I would assume. I have a couple of, um, I don't even know, just thoughts about this whole thing. Okay. First of all, I feel like the conceit of the final battle, I get what they're doing. And I like that, like, Spider-Man is trying to help these people. Like, that seems like a very honest Uh Spider-Man thing to do. 
I do think it's a little bit silly that they have to do that by like violently injecting them with yeah. the cure. <laughs> you know, yes. it is yeah. sort of like punching someone with peace. It is like, yeah, exactly. Coming up with an action way to non-violently help someone. Mm-hmm. Also, Norman and Doc Ock, those are people whose brains have basically been taken over by invading forces, you know? Uh So curing them is absolutely like an unequivocal good thing, just restoring those people to the same amount of coherence they had before they became supervillains. Right. And they still have their superpowers. Yeah, Doc Ock still has the arms at least. And I mean, a lot of Osborne stuff is tech stuff so he probably has that too right Mm -hmm. but then with like sandman and the lizard like it seems like they really enjoy being sand people and lizard people and don't necessarily want to go back so then i feel like there's this whole consent issue like oh yeah you know like what are you really accomplishing and what does it really solve like turning kurt connors back into the human instead of a lizard interesting the other thing is it says they're sending them right back to that same moment which for most of them seems to be right before they died so it's like would that actually be helpful like if green goblin right before he got stabbed with his glider reappeared and was good would that be enough to like stop that from happening well hopefully it would happen like right before he chose to press the button so when he mm. comes back, it's like the moment right before he chooses to press the button, he doesn't do it. He doesn't try to kill Spider-Man, so he doesn't get killed himself. With Molina, I guess it would be like the suit powers down. Or like he no longer wants to hurt Spider-Man, so he like backs down. But I still feel like it would be pretty hard to de-escalate in a boss fight like that with you know people's lives on the line. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting... And what even happened to Electro? I can't even remember. I think he just like powers up too much and he gets electrocuted or something. I don't really remember. It's a very quick ending to his stuff before Dane DeHaan comes in to the picture. I wish we could have seen Rhinoceros in this movie. I mean, that's really what the people are asking for. You know, is there a, is Paul Giamatti in a tech rhino suit? Give it to us. <laughs> what are you thinking? I mean, Kevin Feige, whatever you think you want to do, what you actually want to do is give us Paul Giamatti in a tech rhino suit. (laughs) And maybe um, Topher Grace with the frosted tips. We could have brought him back too, I think. Bring him back? Yeah, as a, a, a powered up Venom. Yeah. Yeah, we want all of it. Something I do like to talk about the post-credits briefly is Mm. that, like, in the Spider-Man comics, the Sinister Six is always a thing, which is basically just any group of six Spider-Man villains who are kind of working together. Uh It really isn't, like, a functioning group, but Uh I guess it's just, like, a cool thing, like, the, the Sinister Six. And I love that this movie has him going up against five people. And then in the end credits, you realize that there was a sixth Spider-Man villain in Venom who was also transported to this world. 
there was like a Sinister Six, but then one of them just got drunk in Mexico for the whole movie and never came to help fight. Yeah, because wouldn't you, if you got transported, what I'm saying is if you got transported from another dimension, landed someplace, you wouldn't just like go to the bar and be like, you know, give me a tall boy. That's what I need. Totally. I mean, Norman said that if you have superpowers and basically you get to make your own rules, wouldn't it make more sense than just not to fight with Spider-Man at all and to like go have a beer somewhere else far, far away from (laughs) (laughs) Spider-Man? Like what's like, what are the two ideologies at play here? One is if you're a superhero, you have great responsibility with great, with great power comes great responsibility. The other one is with great power, you do what you want. Well, why is it that so many of these supervillains, when granted with the power to do literally anything they want to, decide to pick a fight with a superhero instead of just like, you know, going living on their own private island somewhere? And like, why do evil things? Like, you can do whatever you want. Like, maybe steal some money once and then go live on an island somewhere, you know? Like, or I don't know. Like, maybe it's the whole delusions of grandeur thing. But like, what is it about with superpowers of either sort villainous or or for good they're like grandiose and malevolent when i feel like the reality is like most people granted superpowers would just be selfish which is different than grandiose and malevolent you know they would just be like selfish and dumb the way that people are normally you know but with superpowers no i absolutely agree the temptation is to just not have to ever do anything not to like (laughs) want to kill people right I don't know. <laughs> right. Let's run through the villain report with all this oh, yeah. villain talk. Yeah, yeah. So I've I've ordered these just in appearance from, from in their original appearance from the movies. Everyone okay. we've got returning. We've got uh, Willem Dafoe back as the Green Goblin, sort of the main villain of the movie. An unparalleled performance, like truly incredible, incredible, incredible work. Funny and sinister. Yeah, he's so good. I love that they uh, get rid of the mask really quick. They're like, nope, we're going to see his face this time. Yeah. Apparently it was his like contractual stipulation that he wanted to do his own fights. Oh, hell yeah. He was like, I have one demand, and that's that I get to actually do the fights because he's apparently he really loves doing them, and he's you know a big physical character actor, so... Yeah. I feel like that's why you get the two like very hand to hand great yeah. fights between him and Tom Holland. Yeah, the one in the hallway honestly is even better than the than the mm-hmm. one at the end. The one at the end is just like more more like emotionally satisfying. He's great. Yeah. He's great. And he's also great in that he's like kind of an accidental villain in this. Like he doesn't come into the world with a plan to like do this thing to it. He just like kind of has a psychopathic second identity that sometimes takes over. And when like that comes into proximity uh, with all of these other supervillains, he very quickly like just figures out a way to cause mayhem and destruction, basically. Yeah. Which is more interesting, more exciting than if like if at the beginning we like cut to Green Goblin like appearing and being like, ha ha, this has worked, you know, or like some dumb thing like that where he's like somehow been waiting to mm-hmm. to get across or something or it's like but he just like kind of scrabbles it together and i love playing him as, as sympathetic because he is sympathetic in some ways 
all of his moral mission stuff he's sort of mm-hmm. tirading against Aunt May for is a little bit obscure for me. And I feel like they talk about it just too much for it to be kind of awkward. Because if it was a little bit less, I would just be like, yeah, that's his thing. He doesn't like Aunt May. But yeah. they talk about it like so much. And it's maybe it's just like me being a step behind the movie, but I can't totally tell like what his beef is and why he's so angry about it. What it seems to me is that the goblin is like an expert bully and like gets mm. goes for all of the characters, including Norman himself in the places that hurt the most. So, like, when he's talking to Doc Ock, who the whole time has been worried about, like, being fixed like a dog, he's brought it up several times. And then he calls him Lapdog when they fight later. You know, like, he is conscious of everybody's insecurities and and is, like, picking up on that and using that against them. Because he says, too, that he is, like, watching from behind Norman's eyes all the time, even when he's not in control. Right. I, I feel like it's that thing of, like, Oh, he's like trapped there watching as as Aunt May and Norman are cooking up this like a do-gooder plot and is like getting increasingly enraged by it the whole time. Yeah, I can see that. How about Doc Ock, Alfred Molina back again in the sunglasses? You love to see it. Him too. He's also kind of playing the thing of like he's got two sides going on, like kind of at war. I love the moment between him and Toby at the very end mm. when they as like a clear headed adult see each other again. It's really sweet to me. I also think he's the funniest one in the movie. I could give a lot of good just like one liners mm. to him. Uh, and then we've got Sandman, probably my personal least favorite of this whole group. I don't really love him in Spider-Man 3 and he's he's really back for more in this one. <laughs> he is giving sand in this for sure. It's ubiquitous. It's slightly irritating. <laughs> it's beige. <laughs> it's Sandman. I love when Happy is like, and some guy's made of mud. I mean, what's going on there? That's good. But also, what about this lizard guy? What do you think of the lizard dude? I do like that they're poking fun at how ridiculous of a plot it is in The Amazing Spider-Man. That his whole thing is like, I'm going to turn everyone in the world into a lizard. Which is also a direct ripoff from X-Men 1 when they're going to turn everybody in the world into X-Men. I don't know. He's a pretty silly character. He isn't really at all in The Amazing Spider-Man. You know, he's sort of like a complicated mentor figure who's mostly serious and then is kind of scary. And you don't really get either of those sides here, but he is so on the fringes and the comedy stuff with him kind of works that I don't really mind. I don't have any beef with him in the way that when Sandman is really going on about, I've got to see my daughter. I'm like, no, 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 I don't care about this. But don't you remember his daughter has cancer? I think according to the, whatever movie. <laughs> Look, you said Doc Ock was the silliest. I would say for me, the funniest character in the movie is Jamie Foxx's Electro. who's oh, doing sure. a very different thing in this than he was. Mm. In Amazing Spider-Man too. And they even address that and they're like, why did you get a makeover? I love how there's all of these guys like looking at young Spider-Man. Like, who is this kid? 
you know, like you said with the uh, right, yeah. like with the Legos comment, uh-huh. and just like oh, early he's got that moment with Ned where he's like, "It's a tree, man. It's just a tree." <laughs> I love when he's like, "You got to be careful where you fall." Yeah, they're like they're like about the the eels, the eels, just like those damn eels. A lot of the villains hanging out is kind of like an SNL skit of like, what if all the Spider-Man villains hung out? But it does kind of work and is in keeping with like the comedy of Homecoming and Far From Home, I think. Yeah, I'm almost like less excited when they are like doing villainous things in this and more into watching them all hang out and just kind of hash it out. Like, wouldn't this movie be hilarious if it just turned into the last hour is them just like all in a room together like (laughs) talking about their feelings with all three Spider-Mans and all of these villains. (laughs) That's the movie I want to see. That's why I think the final battle is like a little bit flat because it's like these guys are not necessarily the most villainous. Nobody has a set plan. They're all just sort of like jumping off of scaffolding for a little bit until (laughs) you've hit the quota of moments and they can move on to like the final showdown. Yeah, true. Not villains, but I mean, we haven't really talked about them. How do you feel about Toby and Andrew back again in this movie? I've forgotten how long it takes for them to get in this movie. It's an hour and a half. I wrote it down. An hour and a half in. It's a good chunk of a way into this movie. And it's pretty cool how they're introduced that Ned and MJ find them. And that scene is fun in Ned's grandmom's house. Again, I'm like actually more interested in all of these characters hanging out and just talking to each other. I'm more interested in the interaction between Toby and Andrew seeing each other for the first time and like being like, mm-hmm. whoa, what is that? Like, what do you know? What do they know about each other? Like, yeah. what is there? And all, I think all that stuff where they're both, like, asking Toby about, like, ew, you created out of your wrists? Like, that's gross. <laughs> Why did Sam do that to you? That, I love all of that. <laughs> and the movie, I think, knows that and really makes space for that sort of stuff. Yeah. Oh, I don't, okay. So I really don't know about the Andrew Garfield catching MJ thing. I know it's fan service, but I also love it. So what does that mean? You know? Yeah. You love to see it. That is like the moment of the movie, you know? That is like the yeah. number one takeaway from the movie, I think. And he's so good in that scene. Yeah. He is so he is really good in, in all of this as this like bitter spider trying to be on the rebound. Yeah, I love his performance here in particular. Okay, so on like the meta level of a like Spider-Man for every age, like this movie is like bringing in all of the, you know, everybody who's like, Toby's the best Spider-Man. I can't imagine saying that about <laughs> any film ever. But uh, be like, oh, I'm going to see it because Andrew Garfield's in it. Okay, I can picture that. I'm going to see it because Tom Holland's in it. Definitely. It worked for Mm -hmm. me on Uncharted for about 10 minutes. (laughs) But you're like, wow, it's really, really Spider-Man for everybody. Now I needed the doofy guy from the 70s to roll up in his like homemade Spider-Man suit. Dude, I kind of wish he had. I feel like there's a possibility maybe in like secret wars but probably in like one of the spider-verse sequels that that guy is gonna pop back up that would be so cool 
I mean, come on, it's iconic. That guy walking around in bell bottoms and like <laughs> looking at people. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, this movie also kind of has the take that they're like older brother, middle brother, younger brother about the yeah. Spider-Man, which I think works really well in this context, at least, for sure. Yeah. Um, I like Toby's performance, too. I would say for me, it's the second best he's been in a Spider-Man movie after Spider-Man 3. He doesn't do any dancing in this one, so <laughs> it can't be number one, but... Yeah, that moment at the end, like you said, like where he just does like eye acting. It's pretty incredible stuff from Tobey Maguire, who's, I would say, a pretty terrible actor. So, yeah, but he does have enormous eyes, so that helps. It's the one time his lantern light bulbs eyes. He looks like <laughs> one of those fish that lives down where there isn't any light. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Tobey Maguire's estate. Allegedly, he looks like a fish. <laughs> It's a state. Oh my God. Okay. I know we are rapidly running out of time, but I do want to get to a little bit of the behind the scenes drama because I think there is some actually, some actually relevant stuff that people should know. First of all, I don't know if you remember this, Emmett, the story of this starts back when far from home came out because after that they announced in August, 2019 that Sony and Marvel basically had reached the end of their contract and that they couldn't, come to an agreement on a new one and they were like oh spider-man's out of the mcu like we're gonna keep making tom holland movies and he'll be in like the venom verse or whatever sony is doing and he's not going to be in mcu movies anymore whoa so so this was literally a movie about everybody having to forget about spider-man ever having been in the mcu well i don't know if they really started creative work on it i know mckenna and summers were still attached to it Watts was actually offered, I think at that point, Fantastic Four to come over and do for the MCU. To like uh, keep him in the MCU instead of going back to Sony. Is there a Fantastic Four in the MCU? No. There is one coming. That was they got that and the X-Men rights together. So they've gotcha. been like trying to put that together for a minute. Although I hate the Fantastic Four, I am available to play <laughs> If really any of the four of them. I don't know their names, but I would learn it. I promise. <laughs> Basically, that lasted a month and there was a huge public backlash. And I guess Tom Holland called everyone up on the phone and they eventually figured it out. Rewrote the contract and kept going. So they are now still in the MCU. Yes. Yeah, of course. Yes. This is this movie is very much in the MCU. Well, I mean, I thought after that you meant after this, but no. So, so now they've begun. Is this the the goodbye to Tom Holland? It's not. We will see him again. Well, I mean, this movie ends with saying Doctor Strange will return instead of Spider Man will return. Exactly. Sure, we're going to see him again, but I think like it probably is a thing where he is basically in the best contract negotiating space that anyone has ever been in. Because he said this was his last movie and this movie makes almost $2 billion. So I'm sure that he is just like playing it close to his chest and, and holding out for the best deal possible in particular, if he's coming back. Well, go Tom, get that money. As of now, there has been no announcements or no public work on another Spider-Man movie. The closest thing was in April, 
John Watts dropped out of directing Fantastic Four, which he was set to. Basically just saying that he worked on three of these back to back to back and needed a little bit of a break Mm -hmm. and didn't want to jump straight into Fantastic Four. But that press release said that it was expected that him, Tom Holland, and Zendaya would be back for a Spider-Man 4 whenever that happened. Damn. Okay. That's the closest thing we've gotten, but there hasn't been anything official. Uh, And John Watts right now is directing his own Star Wars Disney Plus show called Uh-oh. skeleton key something what? about um like a group of kids lost in space i believe is the pitch for it what but he created that show and is directing it like right now as we speak so that's what he's up to at the moment he was like wow i had to do something outside of this big commercial purview <laughs> <laughs> yeah he needed a break he needed from a break big franchises um that's awesome though well, can't wait to check it out at some point. Any other? Well, we talked about the thing last week, how this was originally going to be an idea for a fourth movie, and then they ended up bringing right. it up. The other thing was that this movie was originally set after Multiverse of Madness. So Doctor Strange had already run had run-ins with the multiverse before, and the character America Chavez from Multiverse of Madness was going to be his apprentice who has the power to transport between multiverses. She was going to be the one who brings the other Spider-Man into the picture with her superpower. That was how the movie was conceived. And then when the release dates changed, you know, she got written out. And I think the Ned becoming a magic plot line got introduced to replace that. Interesting. That's cool. Well, go Ned. Now he is going to be like, you know, in line for Sorcerer Supreme somewhere along that list. Probably towards the bottom, but. Yeah, towards the bottom of that list, but but on the list, nonetheless. Okay. Who is your MVP of this movie, Emmett? I'm going to take only Tom Holland off the list. All of the other Peter Parkers and no gooders are eligible. Who is your MVP? This is literally the hardest it's ever been to do an mpp (laughs) i mean this movie seems specifically designed to make this question difficult to answer and indeed it is it's really down for me between alfa molina and willem dafoe as our two like slightly villainous slightly redeemable guys in this um both playing it really well i think it's got to be i think it's got to be dr octavius as mvp okay yeah wade who is your mvp I think I have to give it to Willem Dafoe. From this watching in in particular, I just think he brings so much to that character. He's so good. I also really love Zendaya in this movie. I think all the stuff she does in the background is pretty incredible. You know, in, in both of the final scenes, her goodbye to Peter and in meeting, you know, stranger Peter, I think she does an incredible job. But Defoe really, I mean, like when he wakes up at the end and realizes like what's happened and all of the moments he has him talking to himself and talking to Aunt May in the homeless shelter and he talks about his home mm. is gone. Like all of that stuff is so good. Hell yeah. Emma, any final thoughts on No Way Home? Well, we'll talk about this later in the ranking, but like I really like this movie. I think it stacks up there as one of the best in this in the whole series. I hope that the series like goes somewhere 
new next. I don't know where that is exactly. I don't know what that could be. But yeah, I don't want him to immediately get Ned and MJ back. Yeah. You know, I want him to have to do something first. Probably keep it on Earth. Mm-hmm. How about you? What are your final thoughts on this? Final thoughts. I just want to shout out that it starts out with a Talking Heads song as they're uh, racing across Queens to get away from um, the paparazzi, mm. basically. I love mm. that sequence. I love the one take shot that starts with Happy and Ame breaking up and then like keeps tracking through the apartment as oh, Peter as... and MJ come home and then Ame and MJ meet mm. and then they realize that the whole world knows. That shot is really great. The shot that's like straight on Peter's face as his spider senses has realized that Norman has turned, but he's not sure yet like which villain it is who has done something who they're in danger from. That scene is so good too. That is cool. Oh, I love the fight between him and Dr. Strange. That's a sick, cool little sequence there. That's a pretty good moment. Dr. Strange is a little bit like he's one for me where it feels like every single movie, he's a little bit different in personality. Yeah. They kind of have not totally figured out the balance, but I think he is pretty good in this. And I, I like that fight too. And that like Peter spider sense keeps his body still moving even while his spirit is out of it. And then he like figures out how to get out of the mirror dimension. Like all of that stuff is cool. Yeah. When he's like, beats it with math. And I just want to shout out to the end credits of this movie. I think all, all of these homecoming movies have fun end credits, but that one in particular, I mean, it's like one of the most fun animated end credit sequences I've ever seen with three is the magic number playing and everyone playing. I love it. I love it so much. Okay. I'm at now it is time for our quiz. And this week we do not have a bums the word. Uh Oh, this week, Andrew Garfield is back by popular demand. And accordingly, despite popular demand, so is our Garfield quiz. Oh Lord. Oh Lord. So Okay. How does this work again? We are talking about Garfield the comic strip, Garfield the Cat, of which author Jim Davis has published 73 books, all of which have some sort of name that is joking about the weight of Garfield the Cat, a la Garfield at Large, which is the first one. So I mean I have here 15 names of Garfield books. And you just have to tell me whether they're real or whether they're fake. Okay. 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 Number one, Garfield hits the big time. That's got to be real. That is real. Correct. Number two, Garfield bigger and badder. Real. Fake. Oh. Number three, Garfield tons of fun. Fake. That one's real. (laughs) Number four, Garfield for dinner. Fake. That one is fake. Well done. Number five, Garfield thinks big. That's real. That's got to be real. That one is real. Yes. Garfield hopes for butter days. (laughs) Uh, That's fake. (laughs) That is fake. You are correct. Garfield will eat for food. That's real. That's got to be real. 
<laughs> that is real. <laughs> you can't make this up. <laughs> that one is real. Okay. Garfield goes to waste. Real. <laughs> this is real. Possibly the most tenuous <laughs> connection of all of them. Oh, man. Okay. Garfield cuts the cheese. That's fake. That is fake. You are correct. Garfield chickens out. Fake. That one's real. Ugh! Garfield buried alive. It's like berries? berries? Yes. Spelled spelled like berries. Buried alive. I think that's real, probably. (laughs) That's fake. Damn it. Okay, we're in the final four here. You gotta put yourself inside the mind of Jim Davis, and you gotta okay. think like a madman. Think about think like a man who could write sixteen books worth of comics about a cat being lazy. <laughs> Garfield, what leftovers? That's real. That one is real. Well done. Garfield Road Pizza. Fake, but you ought to write it. That one is real. No! No! That one is so nonsensical, I couldn't possibly have come up with it. It was released in June. It's the most recent volume. Oh my god. Is he still making them? (laughs) He's still at it. Please tell me that features Garfield as like a futuristic, post-apocalyptic race car driver. (laughs) Okay. Garfield lasagna forever. Uh, That's got to be real. That's fake. God. Mm. Mm. And the final one, Garfield feeds the kitty. Fake. Please, I hope. That one's real. God. Unhinged. Unhinged. This man, someone needs to stop him. <laughs> uh, that is crazy. <laughs> Jim Davis. He's killed before. He'll kill yeah. again. Seriously, couldn't someone pay him at this point the same amount that he would be paid if these books kept coming out to like just not publish? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you got six out of 15 right there. So I would say you've been bested by Jim Davis on this one. Unfortunately. Once again, once again, it's come for me like a Monday out of flu. Thank you for your hard work, though. And thank you for listening, dear listener. We will be back in 49 weeks talking about Greta Gerwig's Barbie. And on our very next episode, ranking all the Spider-Man movie and revealing our new series. Some people thought it would never end. (laughs) And revealing whether or not I even remember what movies we watched in this series when we try to do the ranking cold with no lists. There are 13, Emmett. There are 13 movies. I thought there were four. Okay, see us next week. (laughs) When we discuss whatever it is we'll be discussing then. Mm -hmm. Stay frosty. Cinema Bums is a production of DKG Podcasts. It is created and produced by Emma Temple and me, Wade Lawrence Holloman. I also edit and mix the podcast. Our theme music is by Zane Holloman, who you can find on Bandcamp, and our show art is by Autumn Beckner. Our social media is managed by Laura Bennett. 
If you like what you hear, please tell all your friends and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. You can also follow us on Instagram at cinemabums or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week 